Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to The Breakdown with me, NLW. It's a daily podcast on macro, Bitcoin, and the big picture power shifts remaking our world. The Breakdown is sponsored by Nexo.io, Circle, and Kraken, and produced and distributed by Coindesk. What's going on, guys? It is Tuesday, December 6th, and today we are talking about Goldman Sachs going on a crypto buying spree. Before we get into that, however, if you are enjoying The Breakdown, please go subscribe to it, give it a rating, give it a review, or if you want to dive deeper into the conversation, come join us on The Breakers Discord. You can find a link in the show notes or go to bit.ly slash breakdownpod. Today, I'm also excited to share that this episode is brought to you by CryptoWatch. CryptoWatch is the last crypto app you'll ever need. Track prices up to two times faster than other apps, catch market movements as they happen with powerful charting tools and custom alerts, sync your portfolio and trade across multiple exchanges, and stay in the community conversation with leading influencers on CryptoWatch Social. Say goodbye to your other crypto apps because you can get everything you need to gain a competitive edge with CryptoWatch. Visit Google Play or the Apple App Store to download CryptoWatch today. And thanks again for sponsoring the show. All right, folks. Well, listen, no matter how much we want to move on, we are still living in an FTX fallout world. So today we're going to do a couple updates on that front. And then we're going to talk about what I think is the beginning of a clear trend and whether it's good or bad for the industry. All right. So picking up where we left off yesterday, we had been discussing how SBF had turned down the invitation to speak before Congress at the hearing next week. He said that he didn't have all the proper information and that he wouldn't feel ready, but that when he did, he would certainly testify. Now, just after I finished recording, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, chairwoman of the House Financial Services Committee, tweeted, SBF, based on your role as CEO and your media interviews over the past few weeks, it's clear to us that the information you have thus far is sufficient for testimony. As you know, the collapse of FTX has harmed over 1 million people. Your testimony would not only be meaningful to members of Congress, but it is also critical to the American people. It is imperative that you attend our hearing on the 13th, and we are willing to schedule continued hearings if there is more information to be shared later. Basically, this was a total BS call on Sam's statement that he couldn't speak yet. Another way to put it is that if you can go on YouTube channels that have basically no subscribers, and do a Twitter spaces every other day, you certainly can come get your scrawny little behind in front of the U.S. Congress. Mostly people were glad to see it. A lot of the comments are, okay, maybe I'd like you to go harder, but sure, this is better. Still, a lot of people, though, probably agree with DC Investor when he wrote, 
getting better, Maxine, but you're going to need to subpoena him if you are actually serious. A lot of folks also pointed out that Maxine Waters' account was hiding hundreds of responses to the original tweet and complaining to Elon Musk about it. So far, there has been no response from Sam. Now, something else that people were nonplussed at this morning was a Financial Times expose on the venture portfolio of Alameda. Now, first off, we have to give credit where credit is due. The lead line of this story is absolutely savage. It reads, As well as running a crypto exchange that didn't exchange crypto, and owning a hedge fund that didn't hedge, Sam Bankman-Fried had a venture capital fund that didn't venture its own capital. Now, all of this data comes from an Excel sheet from early November that was produced presumably during the frantic few days when Sam was trying to save FTX and Alameda by raising rescue funding. The spreadsheet lists nearly 500 investments, and I think there are a few things that stand out from this. First of all, FTX and Alameda were invested in everything. I mean, there is just such a crazy array of things here. Obviously, a huge portion of crypto venture rounds had some form of FTX or Alameda participation. But there were also more than 30 investments in venture funds, and even numerous things outside of crypto as well. Second, the lines between FTX and Alameda were clearly blurred. This list identifies which entities had actually invested. Alameda itself has four or five different legal entities. FTX Ventures is one entity. FTX US, aka West Realmshire Services, is another entity, and they're all presented together here. Which gets us, I think, to a third point. Given that Sam prepared this in that frantic week at the beginning of November, it sort of undermines his claim that he didn't know much about what was going on at Alameda. Now, of course, Sam could just say that he learned about all of this later, after he realized that there was a huge hole in the balance sheet. But, again, I'm going to call BS. Sam was exhaustive in knowing at least on a high level everything going on in that company. He did not delegate. And when it came to venture decisions, he was very involved in all of it. Fourth, this information reveals that there could be more pain here to be had in the bankruptcy process. One of the highlight investments that many have been looking at is $300 million into K5 Global. K5 is a venture firm that is deep in the Hollywood hole. Its founder, Michael Kivez, is a former agent at CAA who has also served as an aide for the Clintons and is close with Elon Musk. The size of the FTX investment in K5, $300 million, has many speculating that it will be a primary target for clawbacks during the bankruptcy. Right now, it's not clear whether any of that $300 million has actually been deployed into K5's investment portfolio yet. Overall, number five, this does help explain where all the customers' money went. Remember, there remains a $10 billion or so hole. This helps explain a little bit where some of it went, and this is yet another infuriating thing. This funding came from customer funds. As has been coming clear, Alameda wasn't doing nearly as well as it seemed like from the outside. And what's more, if you look at what FTX made during the last year when everything was booming, which was in the high hundreds of millions, and the money it raised, which was another couple billion, all of that together doesn't make up even close to the $5.4 billion represented in this portfolio which means there was other money coming from somewhere, and we know where that somewhere was. CMS Holdings tweeted this morning, around $5.5 billion in venture, $2 billion buying out CZ, $1 billion in real estate and marketing, lose $2 billion in trading. I can piece together how you lose $10 billion now, but you kind of need it to still be all of the things. In an ecosystem where innovation is the norm, it's the basics that are in the spotlight. Nexo is a company that has never put the safety of clients' funds in question. With over 50 global licenses, $775 million in insurance, and a real-time audit of custodial assets, Nexo sets an example for security standards in the industry. Apart from keeping their 5 million clients safe, Nexo has kept building. They've just announced their non-custodial smart wallet. Visit nexo.io, that's N-E-X-O dot and sign up today. 
This episode is brought to you by Circle, the sole issuer of USDC and a leader in crypto that's held to a higher standard. USDC is a fast, safe, and efficient way to send money around the globe. USDC is always redeemable one-to-one for US dollars and has over $45 billion in circulation as of October 13th, 2022. Plus, Circle posts weekly reserve reports and monthly attestations of reserve capital, letting users know that USDC is safe, transparent, and compliant with regulations. Just go to circle.com backslash transparency to see why USDC is a trusted stablecoin. As one of the largest, longest lasting, and most secure exchanges, Kraken continues to set the industry example for transparency and trust. Regular proof of reserves audits verify your balances are backed by real assets. Industry-leading security keeps your funds and information safe. And award-winning client engagement teams are available for support 24-7. Buy crypto instantly with fast, flexible funding options on Kraken. Download the Kraken app on Google Play or the Apple App Store, or visit kraken.com slash breakdown to join. Now, while we're on the topic of FTX fallout, we also need to discuss Silvergate Bank. Silvergate has been under heavy scrutiny this year as one of the few banks to actually take on banking for the crypto sector. Its ties to FTX have been most recently in focus. Last month, Silvergate was under the microscope as a solvency risk. They reported that FTX only deposited with them and that FTX represented less than 10% of the $12 billion the bank held for crypto clients at the end of September. Since then, the focus has shifted to the dubious relationship between FTX and Alameda. Basically, the issue is that Sam, during his extensive PR tour, has been saying that before FTX was able to get its own banking relationships, it would have exchange clients send money to Alameda instead. In a regulatory filing on Monday, Silvergate acknowledged that it had processed wire transfers for Alameda. Silvergate CEO Alan Lane is basically pushing back, saying that whatever the intent was from Sam & Co., Alameda had bank accounts with them, so when they got payments to Alameda, they processed them and credited to those accounts at Alameda. In other words, to the extent that these were FTX clients that should have gone to FTX accounts, that's FTX's job, not Silvergate's job. At least that's the claim that Alan Lane seems to be making. Still, some aren't content with Silvergate's answers to questions around due diligence. Count markets among those, as Silvergate's stock price is down 84% this year, and around 50% since all the FTX revelations came about, compared to 23% in general for banks. Politicians are also getting up in this right now. Yesterday, Senators Elizabeth Warren and John Kennedy, as well as Congressman Roger Marshall, wrote Silvergate a letter demanding some answers. The letter cuts straight to the quick of the $10 billion of customer funds transferred to Alameda, and what Silvergate's potential role was. From the letter, quote, Mr. Bankman-Fried has himself admitted that FTX customer funds were improperly transferred to Alameda's bank accounts. When asked how FTX customer deposits ended up in Alameda's accounts, Mr. Bankman-Fried told Vox that the company did not originally have a bank account, and so it directed customers to wire money to Alameda's account with Silvergate in exchange for assets on FTX. According to Mr. Bankman-Fried, executives at the company, quote, forgot about this scheme until the company imploded, telling a reporter, quote, it looks like people wired $8 billion to Alameda, and oh god, we basically forgot about the stub account that corresponded to that, and so it was never delivered to FTX. Silvergate provided banking services to both Alameda and FTX, raising questions about the bank's role in facilitating the improper transfer of FTX customer funds to Alameda. Apparently, quote, some FTX customers continue to send wire transfers to Alameda's Silvergate account as recently as this year. It appears that Silvergate did nothing to halt these activities. End quote. Simply put, they write later, Alameda's depository account with your bank appears to be at the center of the improper transmission of FTX customer funds. Now, where this led the congressmen and senators to was a set of questions. 
Were you aware that FTX was directing its customers to wire money to Alameda's account with your bank? Did Silvergate flag as suspicious the movement of funds to Alameda accounts or between Alameda accounts and FTX or FTX affiliate accounts? Before November 11th, 2022, were you aware that Alameda Research LLC was a distinct company from FTX and its subsidiaries? Has Silvergate ever undergone an independent audit of its BSA anti-money laundering compliance program? Did Silvergate have any communication with representatives from Alameda, FTX, or FTX-affiliated entities regarding concerns about the transfer of funds into Silvergate? Etc., etc., etc. Now, I'm certainly not jumping on some screw Silvergate bandwagon. There are plenty of people there already, including short seller Mark Cahotas, who was one of the loudest voices calling out SBF for months. Still, Silvergate has been one of the only banks actually willing to take the risk of banking crypto companies, and I'm going to be pretty pissed if they didn't behave improperly and get caught up in Sam's fallout. However, to the extent that they helped perpetrate the fraud, this really does need to be investigated, no matter how unpalatable or unfun it seems. All of this continues to leave crypto in a very liminal in-between moment. The industry is waiting to see justice served to Sam, but it's also waiting to see whether other institutions will fall. DCG and Genesis are high on that list of WTF is going on. But in that vacuum, there is emerging a clear category of winner, and I'm not talking about Binance, although clearly, they're the last exchange standing when it comes to inside the industry itself. No, that likely winner is TradFi. That was reinforced today when Reuters reported that Goldman Sachs is planning to spend tens of millions of dollars to invest in or buy outright crypto companies that are newly repriced, let's say, in the wake of FTX's collapse. Matthew McDermott, who's Goldman's head of digital assets, told Reuters that FTX's implosion has heightened the need for more trustworthy, regulated cryptocurrency players, and big banks are seeing an opportunity to pick up business. In an interview, McDermott said, quote, We do see some really interesting opportunities priced much more sensibly. On FTX, he said, It's definitely set the market back in terms of sentiment. There's absolutely no doubt of that. FTX was a poster child in many parts of the ecosystem. But to reiterate, the underlying technology continues to perform. Now, as of this recording, apparently the firm is doing due diligence on a number of different crypto firms, although they didn't specify which. So I think there are a few ways to look at this. The first is obviously as a vote of confidence, and Reuters itself sort of nails this angle, saying, while the amount Goldman may potentially invest is not large for the Wall Street giant, which earned $21.6 billion last year, its willingness to keep investing amid the sector shakeout shows it senses a long-term opportunity. Second, I think that this does show a trend, but not a ubiquitous one. On the trend side, Fidelity recently opened retail crypto trading for both Bitcoin and Ethereum. Fidelity is one of the largest asset managers in the world, and this is a huge vote of confidence. Of course, plenty of skepticism still remains. Morgan Stanley CEO James Gorman said at the Reuters Next conference on December 1st, quote, I don't think it's a fad or going away, but I can't put an intrinsic value on it. The HSBC CEO told a banking conference in London that they have no plans to extend into crypto trading. And Jamie Dimon was on CNBC today telling them that crypto was just pet rocks and that they spend way too much time on it. Still, it certainly seems like TradFi is likely to become one of the winners. Again, from Reuters, quote, The ripple effects from FTX collapse have boosted Goldman's trading volumes, McDermott said as investors sought to trade with regulated and well-capitalized counterparties. He said, what's increased is the number of financial institutions wanting to trade with us. I suspect a number of them traded with FTX, but I can't say that with cast-iron certainty. Goldman also sees recruitment opportunities as crypto and tech companies shed staff, although the bank is happy with the size of its team for now. End quote. Now, that same piece also suggests that some TradFi institutions that hadn't gotten into crypto yet are now looking at it because their customers are just over doing business with crypto-native institutions. The Britannia Financial Group said that it's now building out cryptocurrency-related services. CEO Mark Bruce told Reuters, quote, We have seen more client interest since the demise of FTX. Customers have lost trust in some of the younger businesses in the sector that purely do crypto, 
and are looking for more trusted counterparties. So the question that I want to posit to you is, is this a problem? Or is it just unreservedly good? I think the answer is, of course, it depends. On the one hand, it's hard not to be gratified that in a world where many antagonistic voices are calling for the end of this whole experiment, there are still big firms taking a big-picture view and investing for the long term. Relatedly, I think there's a fairly good argument that for citizens of countries with sophisticated banking and investing infrastructure, TradFi brokerages and platforms were always going to capture the mainstream, so this might have just accelerated the inevitable. On the other hand, there are challenges with having this category of actor take the pole position in the industry. They are clearly more focused on compliance and integrating with the existing system than in challenging that system. This could lead to very different priorities. For example, Fidelity launched their retail trading product without the ability for customers to withdraw and self-custody assets. There's also the question of how synthetic products around Bitcoin undermine its supply limitations. If everyone can just play financial games without ever actually having exposure to the underlying Bitcoin, does that diminish the value of its 21 million supply cap? This is something that folks like Caitlin Long have warned about in the past. And the fact that when all was said and done, FTX had zero Bitcoin on its balance sheet suggests it's already a problem. Now, I do believe that this was sort of a problem that was always going to happen and has just been accelerated, but that doesn't mean it's not a problem. This is something that Ben Hunt from Epsilon Theory has discussed quite a bit. He wrote multiple pieces on this and yesterday said, If you don't see that the crypto quote-unquote industry has become just as blindingly corrupt as the traditional financial services industry it was supposed to replace, well, you're just not paying attention. What made Bitcoin special is nearly lost, and what remains is a false and constructed narrative that exists in service to Wall Street and Washington rather than in resistance. The Bitcoin narrative must be renewed, and that will change everything. Now, interestingly, on December 16th, 2020, as the last bull market was just getting up and running, I had Human Rights Foundation's Alex Gladstein and Ben Hunt on the show to debate, Will Wall Street Ruin Bitcoin? Ben argued many of the same things he has argued around Sam over the last six months, even back then, although obviously in general at that time. He argued that Bitcoin was going to become just another financialized plaything for the already rich to extract value from. Gladstein's counterpoint was that even if that happened, it didn't change the value of Bitcoin as a transportable, censorship-resistant, hard-to-seize asset for people living under autocratic rule or in turmoil, conflict, etc. It's a really good conversation, and I suggest you go back and listen. Like I said, December 16th, 2020, Will Wall Street Ruin Bitcoin with Ben Hunt and Alex Gladstein? I was reminded of it today, thinking about all this, but especially when I saw a tweet from Troy Cross. He wrote, Do I want to live in a world where Krugman, Wall Street are laughing off Bitcoin? The EU and US governments are trying to curb mining and mute demand through regulation, while we see grassroots adoption throughout Africa, Latin America, Southeast Asia? Yes. Yes, I do, actually. And I think that that speaks to the redemptive side of all of this, the question of whether even Bitcoin getting caught up in these financial games in markets like the US can, on a fundamental level, undermine what it's valuable for in the places that need it most. There's a lot that we could discuss around that, but we are so short right now on optimistic thoughts that that's one that I am going to hold on to. For now, I want to say thanks again to my sponsors, Nexo.io, Circle, and Kraken, and again today, CryptoWatch, for supporting the show, and thanks to you guys for listening. Until tomorrow, be safe and take care of each other. Peace.